This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Caroline Garrow, who is the Chief Insurance Officer at Flock. Flock are a commercial fleet uh, insurtech based here in the UK, and it's a pleasure to welcome Caroline today. Welcome to the show, Caroline. Hi, Nick. How are you? Caroline, I'm great. Thank you very much, and great, great to have you joining us today. Looking forward to hearing more about Flock. Before we do that, though, would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your background and your career? and What led to you joining the business? Sure. So I've been with Flock since June 2020. I joined in lockdown, which is obviously quite an unusual thing or quite typical now, I think, in terms of where we are, uh, where we are today, but quite unusual at the, you know, at the time. I've been in the insurance industry for over 25 years. I fell into it out, uh, not out straight out of school. I had a couple of jobs before, uh, before I accidentally fell into the insurance industry. But unlike most people who come into the industry that are kind of siloed into, you know, broking, underwriting or claims, I've been quite fortunate with the roles that I've had. I've had a lot of exposure to all sorts of different things, which has kind of added to my toolkit. And has enabled me to to work for some really really you know interesting um, and innovative companies of you know of late. But I've worked in you know large brokers like Gallagher's, um, MGAs like you know OAM Underwriting, which are now you know part of Penn, which is still part of part of Gallagher's, all the way through to you know smaller SME brokers in you know that that that, that specialize in sort of niche areas through the likes of you know South Essex Insurance Brokers um, a few years ago. Great. Fantastic. So a very broad range of insurance experience, as so often is the case, falling into the industry, but then never looking back. You say you joined Flock during lockdown, you know, moving from traditional insurance business into an insure tech. What was the thought? What was the the motivation? What was it about Flock appealed to you? So just a, a a small correct correction there. So I was in an insure tech before Flock, which was called Risk. Um, and with 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 Flock, I'd met Flock back in 2016, I think it was, when they they hadn't launched anything. They was just figuring out what they you know what they were going to be as a as a business. So I'd known Ed and Anton for quite some time. I took the decision that you know there was an opportunity for me to come back into the commercial sector. Risk were very much personal lines. I had some conversations with Ed and Anton, reconnected with Ed and Anton again. By this time, you know, they had a business, they were, you know, selling drone insurance policies. That was an area that I was interested in many years ago when I was at SEIB. So the op- an opportunity presented itself for me to join. And because I knew them really well, it was it was a relatively straightforward, straightforward decision for me. 
And we went into a new vertical um, at the end of 2020 into commercial motor fleet. And that was one of the reasons that I was Flock was attracted to me was because of my commercial, my commercial background and the direction that they were that they were that, that they were planning on heading in. So almost two years later, and like you say, I haven't really looked back. It's um it's been it's been fast paced, um, but really interesting, really interesting work. Great, excellent. So you see, so you got that initial insure tech experience, that technology experience, but your passion for commercial insurance and some of the risks that Flock were looking to to work with sort of really, really inspired you there. So that that's fantastic, Caroline. As we are in the insurance coffee house, I know it is it is the afternoon here in the UK today. Don't normally have too too many of these recordings in the afternoon. But what is your what's your go to coffee of choice in the morning, Caroline? So mine would be an oat latte. Uh, normally decaf. I stopped drinking caffeine when I was pregnant with my daughter and didn't really pick it up again. So when I do have a caffeine, I'm not completely off caffeine, but when I do have a caffeinated one, it gives me quite a little boost. <laughs> it really notice the difference. But my go-to is a is an oat latte. Uh, sounds like a very healthy option there. That's that, that's good to hear, Caroline. Caroline, yeah, if we can now move on and talk about Flock in a little bit more detail, could you give our listeners a, a snapshot of the business, where it is now, markets that you're operating in? Yeah, for sure. So Flock, as you said, is a UK insure tech. We say we're on a mission to make the world a quantifiably safer place through uh, data and analytics. We raised a $17 million Series A in June of last year, um, which allowed our business to grow to nearly 60 people from around 17. We were sort of around the, we were hovering around the 20 mark, I'd say. Uh, prior to that so we grew to nearly 60 people which doubled the size over doubled the size of our of our team in the last year and we're continuing to hire at pace and are on track for our biggest year ever in 2022 in terms of um in terms of our target so very significant series a funding has really helped you to launch and scale scale the business further what are the products that you have there what are some of those products that that you have on offer for the for the insurance market so we have one product now on offer. Um, we put our drone business into runoff at the end of last year. That was a strategic decision as we, you know, we looked at the drone market. It hadn't um, taken off, if you pardon the pun, um, <laughs> in the way that um, most thought it would do um, when drones were becoming the, you know, the new innovation. And we needed to scale our business. And from doing some um, very in-depth research that, that happened before I, before I joined Flock, there was definitely an opportunity for for us to use the technology and our learnings that we um, and the way that we were pricing in the drone market and use that um, in the commercial uh, motor fleet market. So we offer connected motor fleet insurance for safer fleets. So fleets that are connected. So that's connected using telematics data devices in the car or through the car data itself. And this data enables Flock to analyze their their dry, their road risk and for fleets to reduce the risk using that data and the insights that we provide to them. And by incentivizing good behavior, we uh, we provide lower insurance prices. In, t- in terms of the benefits then for those fleet managers, for those uh, businesses that have fleets, what, what are the benefits to them? And and also, can I ask you how you distribute? Is it through a broker channel? And if it is, what are some of the benefits for the brokers as well? So we do distribute through brokers. The majority, around 80% of our business comes from brokers. We do have some clients who've come to us directly, but um, we 
you know, the broker market controls pretty much all of the commercial fleet business, uh, you know, in the, you know, in the London, uh, in the London market. So we're very proud of our relationships that we have with our, with our brokers and see them as key partners for us going, you know, going forward. In terms of the, the benefits for our customers, most of the customers that have telematics, they've never really seen the benefit from the insurance industry per se. So, you know, whilst they'll get, you know, reductions in their insurance costs because they're considered as being more, you know, savvy around risk and more focused on and more, more proactive around managing their, you know, managing their fleet risk, they're unable at the moment to kind of connect the dots between the activities that they're doing internally with their drivers and the use of telematics and their insurance price. So you have insurance pricing over here, which might give them a discount for using telematics. And then the, the fleet manager's got their t- telematics data that they can see from their dashboards, but sort of never the twain will meet. Mm-hmm. So the benefit from Flock is that we're bringing these two worlds together. So we're able to take the, the data via the telematics, put that through our own pricing algorithm. Um, and use the, you know, the data to create, you know, using our risk score that influences the pricing side of things. But also in addition to that, we're able to provide our fleet operators and our brokers, you know, risk insights that connect the dots to, to, to actually how we look at risk. So, you know, when we're able to say, you know, driving on a particular road at a particular time of night at a particular speed is going to have this impact on your insurance pricing and on cost. Um, and that's where we create the sort of transparency and the personalization. So, you know, we always say that, you know, no, no two miles are, dr- are ever, you know, are ever driven the same. You could have two different courier businesses that on the face of it, they look the same. They're operating in a similar area. They do a similar number of drops. And by virtue of that, they would be priced the same. But when you start to look, sort of look under the hood again, if you pardon the pun, um, and look at the look at their data, you actually you actually see that it's actually it actually it can actually be quite different. Mm. So, then, it's a, so it's a lot more data focused than just purely the the telematics, which might tell you about how a particular driver is 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 driving the vehicle. It, it it's taking things a lot further and a lot deeper than that in terms of data. Yeah. So, you know, the key, some of the key factors around, you know, risk when it comes to, you know, driving risk is the time of day that you're driving. You're obviously more at risk of having an accident if you're driving, if you're doing a lot of nighttime driving. Speed that you're going is is more connected to the actual, your ability to brake, stop and how much impact is going to happen as a result of that, that speed that you're driving. And then the where you're driving, you're actually less likely to have an accident on a motorway compared to a country lane. So, Although your accident on the motorway is likely to be potentially more severe because the speed you're traveling, you know, there's less, there's less things that you have to encounter like junctions and roundabouts, et cetera, because it's just that, you know, that, that sort of monotony of driving. You mentioned the, the fast scale you've had there over the last 12 months or so. What's been the biggest challenge that you've had or faced during that time or... Or is it in the future that you see the biggest challenge? What, what, where is the biggest challenge as you look to scale the business? So for us, I'd say, you know, hiring and doing BAU at the same time. So the thing with a, you know, when you're raising, when you're raising money and you're a company the size that, that Flock were before raising, you know, raising a Series A, you kind of, you know, you kind of need to hold off on your hiring before you, until you've got the money in the bank. Mm. But you've already built a business. It's not like you started, you're just starting from scratch. So, you know, you can build all your processes and your, your procedures and, you know, and then and then launch a product and, and, and learn. It's kind of, you've got products that are already, already live and, and, and running. So you've got a team of people who are trying to do that as well as hire, you know, 
doubling your you know, sort of doubling your headcount and you know we were hiring the most amount of people that we'd ever hired in you know in one go um and so you're also hiring your talent team at the same time as uh, who are the, and your people team who are the people that are really going to you know embed and roll out your processes for hiring so i'd say you know that is probably one of the the, the the hardest challenges is when the money lands it's kind of the as i think our founder and chief product officer would say is you're you're you know, this is when the work the work really starts because you're actually having to wear even more hats than you were wearing beforehand. Mm. And as each kind of, and also it's like the length of time it takes to hire. So you're you start the process, and it takes a while for you to actually start getting you know into a you know into a rhythm and getting you know get, getting candidates getting candidates through the door. A large proportion of the hiring we did post Series A was. The actual physical, actual like making offers and getting people through the door happened in the last, you know, the last few months of 2020, that particular year. And then, you know, and then sort of snowballed, you know, snowballed thereafter. It's a really interesting point that you make there, Caroline. We as a business do a lot of work in the United States, obviously here in the UK as well. And the, the difference being on the, those hiring times, you know, in the United States, someone might have a two week termination or two-week notice period rather than in the UK if you especially if you're looking to hire someone out of the insurance industry they might have a three-month notice period they might have a six-month notice period it's very very challenging when you're looking to scale and grow quickly bring people in you know at speed it can really hold things back yeah and all whilst there was a war on or and still is a war on you know war on talent so those people that were already established and you know are already sort of in the throes of their hiring or just hiring one or two people you know they can move they they were moving faster than we were so yeah. you know we st- get through the process find a really good candidate and then find that somebody kind of you know beats us to it and then you know you find you go through the process and it, it doesn't really matter even if you were to sort of put that into kind of like a speed dating kind of process where you try and do all of your initial interviews and you're screening in the first week and then the exercise round like the following week and meet the CEO that you know the week after that and try and cram it into a three-week period like you say you then when you're talking to these candidates you're like, so how long is your notice period and it's like three months and you're like right okay so we've still got to kind of like hold on to our hats for a, you know for, for for another three months but then what you notice on the plus side is obviously when they do arrive how quickly you know, you're able to sort of delegate the work that you were doing to them so you can then focus on the, you know, on the next strategic priority. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Caroline brings us nicely onto the espresso round. The listeners will know the questions are short, sharp and straight to the point. So I know your oat milk latte is normally the uh, strongest of the caffeine that you'd normally go for, but are you ready for the espresso round now? I am primed and ready. Primed and ready to go. Let's do it. The espresso round. Caroline, how many people are you looking to grow the business by in the next 12 months? So we'll be up to about 80 ahead of our Series B fundraise. And what are the cultures and values there that you're looking to to build as a business? So um, we are focusing around ownership. So what we do, you know, we do what it takes to get the job done um, and we hold ourselves and each other to account. Growth, we're curious. We always encourage feedback and learn from each other and our own mistakes. So growth is really important and, and curiosity is really important when you work in a startup because, you know, you are challenging the, the status, the status quo, belonging. And so by challenging, you want to have safe spaces for folks to like air their views and opinions without fear of, you know, reprimand or having things ignored. You know, we always welcome unique perspectives 
Um, and that's what makes startups really, you know, brilliant places to work. Transparent, we have to be open and honest and share information frequently. You know, we move very, very quickly. And so it's quite easy to get out of step. Um, intention, we act with purpose, we bias towards action, whilst keep always keeping the bigger picture in mind. It's nothing worse than going to a meeting and coming away having had a nice chat, but with no action. And creativity, so going back to the uh, curiosity uh, point I made earlier. So, we, you know, we, we experiment with big, bold ideas. We're not constrained by convention or the status quo. So, you know, we... When you look at the way things are done in the insurance industry, it'd be very easy to just to sort of say, well, that's how everybody else is doing it. So we should do it like that. But that's not not always the best customer experience. So we always have to start with the customer first. So that means coming up with some um, really creative ideas. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. And how do you find the balance between maintaining those values whilst also scaling quickly. You talked about some of those numbers there from going to 17 to 60 people in a very short space of time. How, how do you balance that building that, you know, whilst you're bringing people onto the team, maybe remotely or, um, you know, certainly working from home more than was before the pandemic? So I think our culture and our values do play a lot, a, a big part of that, you know, our transparency, I mean, all of them really, but, you know, when you think about transparency and and, and ownership and the way that we use tools, to you know to communicate and share information and ideas you know the feedback we hear from the team is it's very easy to get plugged in very quickly and everyone's really friendly and open when I as I mentioned earlier I joined flock in lockdown so I don't know what it was like before however you know the process that we get we undergo when we're hiring is like multifaceted and cross-functional as I kind of mentioned earlier so the candidate will meet a number of people as they're going through the process, not just the hiring manager or the CEO or the senior leadership team. So there's an opportunity for them to ask the, you know, we have one part of the process, which is like, ask us anything. So that's a meeting with the, the team at more of an operational level where the candidates can ask questions that are going to be important to them so that they can kind of validate how they're going to fit and, and, and get plugged in. We also try not to fish in the same pond. Mm. So if you want you know, a breadth of, you know, um, opinions and ideas and perspectives, you have to take people from different walks of life. And so you can't just hire from the insurance industry and you can't just hire, you know, the same people that have been working for like a ThoughtWorks or consultancy in, you know, in tech or product, because you're just going to end up with a rehash of the, you know, of the, of the, of the same person and the same perspectives. We want to, we bring our team together regularly, um, whether that be socials, town halls or weekly all hands. And I think with InsureTechs, they tend to be, it wasn't a big transitional shift to go from working remotely to, sorry, going from sort of having a flexible working to working remotely mm. because you know, we all work on MacBooks. We don't have, you know, uh, desktops. Um, so you can work from anywhere. It just wasn't as structured in the way that it has to be, you know, it has to be, it has to be now, you know, it was more ad hoc in terms of, oh, I'm going to work from home today, or, you know, I'll be working from this particular country. When the world went into lockdown, it was like, nobody's going anywhere. So we didn't have the same challenges as perhaps some of the incumbents where, you know, they just used to coming to the, you know, coming to the, coming to the office. But as a newbie going from one organization that had just entered lockdown into another one where I didn't really know anyone, there were only 17 people. So it was quite easy to meet. I met everybody very, very quickly. Um, and so I think with each new member of the team that we have onboarded, we're very keen to get feedback in terms of that onboarding process, because now they're not meeting 17 people. They're meeting nearly, you know, on the way to 60. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, and it's a great, it's a great point. I think that 
part of the process is becoming easier and easier. People are more used to working remotely and interviewing remotely or virtually over video video conference. What is the the policy that you've that you've got there sort of post pandemic? Are people coming back to the office? Do you have people working 100% remote? What's the situation there at the moment? So I don't believe we have anybody who work 100% remote. We operate a sort of a hybrid working system. We've got a few sessions coming up at the moment where we're, you know, we're reflecting on what hybrid means to, you know, means to flock. But we do have an office. We have a WeWork um, at Devonshire Square. It doesn't see every single employee that we have. It's got capacity for about 25. We find there are days when the team want to want to be all together. It's normally Thursdays because that's the social, that's very much a social day. And we have our, you know, what we call flock o'clock, which is our all hands on a on a Thursday afternoon. So a lot of people want to come to that in person. But like say a Monday or a Friday, there's hardly anybody in the office. So there isn't really much point in having a office that it, that would see everybody. And we're just sort of doing a lot of the figuring out around what, you know, what hybrid means, you know, means means to flock. But I suspect we'll be in a, you know, we'll continue in a, on a hybrid, you know, on a hybrid model for a while. What's great about it is, you know, enables us to hire from, you know, across the country. We now have a, you know, a northern contingent from the Midlands and and, and further north. And they also have, because it's, we work is like global access. It's not just in the office that we have in London. It means that we can still work cross-functionally, not just remotely. So some of the team will travel to the WeWork in Manchester, for example, and they'll do some cross-functional work, you know, cross-functional working there. The team from Manchester come down to, you know, to, to, to London regularly as well. So we're trying to do as much as we can using the tooling available to us to create, you know, a model, like a model office. Yeah, great. Sounds fantastic. And it seems like you're giving people the mixture of office and face-to-face time and also that time to do that, you know, that deep work at home or, you know, maybe with less distractions sometimes at home. For some people, that's not always the case. For some people, they find homeworking more of a distraction. There's more going on there. So they actually they get more done in the office. It's, it's interesting. Whilst, you know, others feel like that they can get eight or nine hours of, you know, sort of, sort of pure, pure working time, which is, which is great. Caroline, obviously your career started off very much in the traditional insurance industry. And as we mentioned earlier, you've worked in quite a few different areas, you know, including sort of claims and underwriting and, and, and the broking side of things. In terms of Flock obviously being insurance and technology brought together. What's the value that an insurance career like like yours, or you know, if there are any high performing insurance professionals out there, what what are the, the value that they can bring to Flock to really enhance the value of the business there? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. I mean, at face value, you might say that those folks who have had you know high performing careers or are you know super senior within their organisations would be the best fit for a startup. But in reality, you are less likely to get the the cultural fit. The business is much faster paced and you have to be really creative and mission driven and not just on your own mission. Whereas in the bigger organizations, there's a there's a you know, you, you tend to be sort of where's my next step? Where's my next jump? So for somebody coming into the insure the insure tech space, what's the benefit really is that the because of the fast, you know, the pace of the business, the you know the the creativity that is required when you're you're working in a business like like flock what that tends to give you is kind of growth in a very different in a different way so you're adding you stop thinking about okay i need to do this next widget to become the next the next line up on the ladder you you're thinking more sort of laterally about your career and what you're going to get in terms of your toolkit and exposure to which 
then gives you a bit more of a rounding for for a for for a leadership role. So even if you weren't coming in as a as a leader within an insure tech like like I did, you know, coming in uh, you know whatever level you you're getting exposure to lots more than you would do at that level if you went into um into one of the you know in, in one of the incumbents. I always yeah. kind of use the analogy of the claims function where you know the the claims process was broken down and you have a team of people that deal with you know first notification of loss and how long you have to be doing first notification of loss before you get your training rules taken off and then you can deal with the investigation or you can deal with personal injury whereas when you come into a startup yes there are guardrails yes there's a lot of you know there's there are people around the business that have that experience but you're not kind of just con- constrained to your swim lane you are able to kind of think about the business and, and and other opportunities to get involved in. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I think, I mean, we certainly see it with professionals moving from maybe from a traditional insurance carrier, maybe if they're in a compliance function, a large compliance team, they might go to an insure tech and have the same role, but they're actually the only person doing compliance there. So they very quickly can become head of compliance or the compliance lead and then then start building a team to to support them around there. So they can really fast track your career, you know, across across the board. Mm. Yeah, I, I just think great opportunities. And for those that and and the challenge you have with bringing in too many you know, too many senior people, particularly at an early stage of a startup, is that it's been so long since they've been at the kind of grassroots. It's hard for them to simply just roll up their sleeves and, you know, do those things. So, you know, yeah. there are days when I'm operating as, you know, at Flock, there would have been days when I was operating as a claims handler, as well as the chief insurance officer thinking about underwriting strategy, yeah. wow. you know, and you have to be able to flip between strategic mm-hmm. and operational and tactical all at the same time, which if you've only been, if you've been operating a very strategic level for a very long time, it is really hard to kind of then lower your gaze. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Caroline, last question in the espresso round. If there are any leaders in SureTechs out there now who are who are looking to scale, looking to grow quickly over the next 12 months, what foundations or infrastructure would you say are essential in order to achieve that growth? So I'd say that, you know, in terms of for, for somebody who is about to kind of go into growth mode, like just, you know, just landing your, your, your series, your series A, for example, is this before you start your hiring process, kind of map out the strategy and what needs to be delivered and by when. And to do that well ahead of, you know, you closing your series A round mm. so that you you're not starting that process once the money has landed because you're already sort of behind the you know curve. Identify once you've identified those kind of key hires, start making those warm conversations through LinkedIn or connections and do it holistically so that you can ensure that you have the right folks hired at the right time. So rather than thinking about if you've if you've got you know a series of hiring managers rather than them just kind of building out their hiring plans and those being signed off it's kind of look at them in a in a holistic way against the strategy so what do you need to deliver over the next 12 months and who do you need in the business whether that be you know permanent employees contractors or consultants to enable you to deliver it and in what order do you need them yeah absolutely so such valuable advice really there because you'll be like hiring in your talent team for example and you get your first talent manager for example on board and you hit them with 60 roles you know which one are they going to do first yeah i, I know that's a challenge for a number of actually. <laughs> and yeah. then you know your tech might take longer than expected 
to to be to be delivered so make sure that you have enough resource to handle any of the man of the many manual processes that you might have to you know employ whilst you're building out technology it's not built overnight and there are roadmaps and constraints around hiring in tech particularly at the moment so that's another area I'd say is to think about on the data side you know make sure that you can report on the things that matter most to you and you can do it easily and invest in your data you know investing in your data team and getting access to that data because trying to work with 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 spreadsheets with data in different places is really it gets to a point where it just becomes you you're just not able to function properly as a you know as a as a business and think about what you know what in terms of your leadership team what are the key hires that you need that you need to have in those roles and don't try and compromise on on the level of experience you need the right hire but you know often what tends to happen is that you know insurance people that work in the insurance industry tend to come with relatively higher pay salaries than and benefits etc than 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 a lot of other fields and so it can be easy to get put off and think oh well that's you know that's the right person but actually when you you actually get more for your money with the seniority, but obviously still balancing that with the comments I made earlier in terms of not going, not going, you know, not going too senior. So there's a real balancing act between your sort of Mr. or Mrs. right now versus the person that you might need post B. And it's kind of which which roles do you need to make those compromises? Which roles do you need to make those compromises on? Because you will get to a point where certain people come into the business, but then the role outgrows outgrows them. You need to be you need to be clear on which, you know, where those where those people sit. I mentioned the in-house talent manager being another one as like a really good hire to get that in. It's probably, you know, they're, they're the ones that's going to be enable you to be, to set up your robust hiring processes and be and being agile around your hiring. Absolutely. What I'd really take from that is really about planning ahead and really have that strategy for those key hires, but not just looking at the next six to 12 months, looking looking at the next 24 to, to three years and mapping out exactly how that's going to work and, and the timelines involved with that so that you've got the suitable length of runway to start having those conversations with those people you know often with with smaller companies it's a case of educating particularly people from the insurance market first of all about what you're doing you know it's not like uh, some of those household names who can very easily put a job role out there and people know people know them really well you know sometimes it takes two three four touch points of education letting them know you know what you're doing what the opportunities are, what the vision is for the business, for them to sort of get involved and, and for them to then start to show some real interest. So that so there is definitely a, a, t- a good timeline there. So, so thanks for that, Caroline. Caroline, we're almost at the end of our time today, actually. It has flown past so quickly. Before we go, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And if anyone's out there now listening and they think they want to learn a bit more about Flock, uh, what's the best way of contacting you? So I think like, the, the best advice I think I could give is that I think insurtechs have a bit of a rep that we're all sort of sitting around on beanbags and drinking coffee. And yeah, there's a lot of fun that we do that we, you know, that we do that we do have, but it's fast paced. And so for someone who's looking to join, I'd say that you'll learn and grow much more than you would do if you were in, you know, an, an incumbent. For someone looking to launch an insurtech, like I've said, your first hires will be hugely important, as will your network of experts. And you won't realistically be able to afford to hire those experts and, you'll, and you will be reliant on consultants and contractors for a while. So seek referrals and from others who've been there and done it because uh, you can easily burn through a fair amount of cash at the start with, you know, with the wrong, with the wrong people. 
And then in terms of how to reach me, I'm more than happy to share my, you know, my experience. Like I say, we're, we're still hiring. So if anybody wants to contact us and is thinking about a move into an insure tech or is thinking about starting up a insure tech and wants to know the sort of expertise that they, they may need to, they might need to think about or want access to my address book, then they can contact me um, via email at caroline.garrow at flockcover.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Caroline. We'll, we'll certainly post those in our show notes so people can reach straight out to you after they've listened to the show. Caroline, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really great to have you on, to hear about your career, to hear about your, your personal journey and some of the great things that you're doing there at Flock as well. And some of those great plans, those scale plans that, that you have. So we'll definitely have to welcome you back maybe in 12 months or so and see, see how things are going. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love to. Thanks, Caroline. And to all the InsureTech leaders and insurance leaders listening today, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for joining us today. And I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learnings from what Caroline's had to say today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or would like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Codley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.